going to, it is a huge, it always has been, but yes, there's periods of time that I've seen over the last 14 years where, you know, the, the acquisitions and the partnerships are important, but then they go away and that, then they get, you know, spotlighted again, but then they go away. And I, I feel that it is always a growth strategy and opportunity for a growing company because you can't do it all. You shouldn't try to do it all. You shouldn't try to be, you know, the Amazons and the Apples and the Googles of the world who try to get into every industry segment. You don't have the, the money and the time uh, to do that. Um, not, not to say you will never will, but in the, if we're talking like, you know, million dollar to... Yo, this is Christian D. Evans with Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our amazing podcast. This is where we reveal the top 1% of business concepts and systems and processes to scale eight and nine figure businesses. We interview top level eight and nine figure CEOs, business owners, and amazing TEDx speakers like David Meltzer. We got Nick Cavuto, Pascal Bachman, and so many others. And if you feel like this resonates with you, please share this with your friend, your family, and make sure you impact them as well because we're trying to spread the message on those that do not know how to scale eight, nine-figure businesses and talking higher-level business concepts. So guys, remember, enjoy the episode and be uncommon if you can. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And shedding the corporate bitch, bitch shifting from bitch to rich in life and business. This next guest is the author of that book, and we are so excited to be having her on today. She's a business success coach, speaker, podcast host, and author, just like I mentioned. We're going to be diving into that book and so much more about business strategy. She has leveraged her 25 years in corporate savviness with her entrepreneurial spirit, helping tremendous amount of businesses, individuals, and CEOs and founders scale to the next level. She's the CEO and founder of Ball of Fire Incorporated, which comprises of her two passion businesses. Ball of Fire Coaching, a business success and leadership growth company, and Ball of Fire Media and Entertainment Production and Publishing Company. My guest, the author, one and only, Bernadette Bose. How are you doing today, Bernadette? I'm great, Christian. How are you doing? I'm so excited to be here. Well, hey, I'm so excited as well. You just have a tremendous amount of experience, and you've been in this industry for so, so many years before you became really you know, famous. And why I love that is because it's like, you know the ins and outs of it. You know actually how to produce results, unlike most people that are just regurgitating. But let me ask you this right off the bat, Bernadette. When you work with so many companies in, in a variety of different niches and industries, what have you found is like the one or two things that majority of business owners, maybe mindset, maybe structurally, maybe systems, that they struggle with the most? Well, especially if they're in growth mode, I find that they struggle with when to start making those investments, when to start taking those risks. Uh, you know, opening up their pockets and actually, you know, allocating monies out and funds out. But that ultimately comes down to mindset. You said it. it comes down to what are they fearful of? What are they doubting about themselves? And so if we can work on a combination and a blend of both getting them focused on their mindset as well as the business strategy, then I find that uh, they tend to overcome those apprehensions and those um those fears of taking those risks. 
definitely that makes perfect sense and you know kind of walk me through that a little bit at what point should they start looking at to investing into those other different because uh, i just let me just explain so i had a uh, i was literally talking to another uh, client of mine earlier today and he was like okay at what point should i start you know reinvesting the money back into you know hiring more team versus how much should i allocate toward marketing strategy on the front end and how much should i just you know what, what does that look like at what point do i start really scaling and obviously those are two two different kind of focuses Right. Uh, I'd love to get your response on that as well. Well, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I do think it depends on the type of business because obviously those that have um, uh, products, like true tangible products, they have a whole different call structure, cost structure than those that are in the services businesses. So, um, it, you know, you definitely want to look at kind of what are the core, core uh, functions of your business, not only to uh, grow it, but even to kind of make it stable before you start investing in marketing and growth strategies. Um, so you just kind of look at where your um, ability to uh, kind of first not even spend the money, but more so do things more organically. Uh, a lot of times, especially in growth oriented um, businesses, a lot of it has to do with relationship building, has to do with the partners, the uh, strategic partners that you have, uh, building relationships with the vendors, uh, referral uh, networks. And so, you know, you need to be mapping out. Someone would want to map out just where they're expecting to be. I like to look at every six months of milestones. Yes, we're going to look at a three to five year plan and have all that great stuff that everybody tells you to, you know, you need to have. But I'm more realistic. It's almost like for the women out there, it's almost like if we were to go on a diet, you know, planning it out six months, 12 months, we're going to be like, well, you know what? I got five more months to achieve my goal. So I'm not going to start just yet. So I like to kind of, you know, kind of cull it down into a smaller bites of key milestones. And based on those key milestones and what it is that you're looking to accomplish, then I like to say, start investing as early in your, your growth as possible. And why I say that is, the sooner you can get over letting go some of your funds into you know, buying those applications, buying that technology, um, hiring those contractors. The, um, the growth and the transformation you get as a result of it, even in the smallest of ways, the more confidence that you'll get to being able to apply more and more of your funds and allocate more of your funds into that growth. Um, and so I like to start very simply with just a plan, lay it out, lay it out those three years, break it down by every six month milestones. Where is the money necessary to do whatever it is that you want to accomplish in those six months, start releasing that, that purse, those purse strings, and, uh, and then test and fail, test and fail, test and fail, uh, fail very quickly and retest. Which makes perfect sense, honestly. And that's the name of the game. And the faster you, you, you're able to gather data and fail or whatever that may be, and then the faster you can pivot and keep pushing forward. And I love that approach. Now, let me ask you this because um, you know, just selfishly, I want to know, because see, when you work with so many different clients at different, and like you said, it's all dependent, right? You have to take kind of a whole screenshot and a snapshot of what their business is, where they're at, but let's assume that they're about a million dollars or actually maybe better yet. Let's do this. Give me an example of taking a client 
and you're able to see, okay, hey, you know what? It's not the typical, oh, we need more leads to scale and grow. It's more of maybe the infrastructure or systems or processes or maybe referrals or partners. And I'd love to kind of give me an example of one of your clients that you've worked with that they were going this approach, like one way, like lead generation, qualification, all that stuff, qualified leads coming in. And the, the reality is after having a conversation with you, you're like, no, in fact, what we need to do is focus on the low hanging fruit and to squeeze that lemon a little bit further. So I'd love to get just maybe a, uh, maybe a client of yours that you've worked through that. Sure. So I had a client um, when they came to me, uh, they were, they were pretty much already into the millions. They were in the two and a half to $3 million mark. Um, and yet at the same time, there, that two to $3 million was coming from like five core customers. That was it. And so very shortly before coming on board, they lost one of their key customers, which kind of drained about $750,000 out of their, out of their business. And so they had the people, they had about 35 people. Um, I would say that they didn't necessarily have to your, in your words, the infrastructure as far as, yes, we have people and they're doing a lot of things, but we don't necessarily have a, 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 a steady stream of processes and procedures and standards and practices that would ensure that those people are being as effective and productive as possible. Um, so when we looked at that, we thought, okay, you know what, that seems like it's a number one priority, but really it's not. We actually need to be looking at protecting that growth opportunity that they have. You know, here they're down to four clients now. And so we're like, okay, so you can't rely on this bank of customers that you already have. A lot of people out there, they bank on the clients that they have. And then their, their, their small network of potential referral sources that could be referral partners or that could be customers that are actually, you know, reaching out to them, but they haven't yet committed. Um, and they just depend on that. And therefore, we had to actually build out their sales team, their sales infrastructure, so they could actually go out and get more logos, as I kept saying to them. I'm like, we have five, you know, at the time we had five. We now have Eighteen months. Just think of what that could be doing for your business. So, um, and and I would say within about um, I was with them for about well, close to four years, and we took their business from uh, two and a half, three million dollars up to twelve and a half, and we took them from those five clients up to about twenty-two, um, and built out their team from about thirty-five to about ninety-nine. But at the same time, to your, your point in question, our plan to add people, to add advertising dollars, to add um, uh, salespeople and infrastructure was very purposeful, was very intentional and laid out based on kind of the uh, bottom line. Well, obviously it's always about the bottom line, right? About the bottom line of where we wanted to be each of those. And I still used that six month milestones based on that six month a recurring uh, plan that we had for them. Uh, so it, you know, but and, but for another company that I had, which was a pure services company, a technology services company, it looked very different. You know, typical things people want to do to generate sales. 
they were they were throwing all the money into sales and yet they didn't have the product or a, even a prototype of a product to be putting out there so we had to reconfigure them to say well wait a minute let's kind of do these you know at the same time get some pro you know r and d done but all at the same time we can get out there and start you know um, uh, presenting the prototype I love that. And I really appreciate you kind of diving deep into that because I think so many business owners, they're at a million, two million, just like you said, and you can get to that a million, two million dollar mark just off a relatively small uh, mm -hmm. amount of clients, but with a lot of, you know, obviously the retainer is pretty high a monthly. Right. Um, uh, however, like you said, you have to be very cognizant and realize, okay, well, all of a sudden one, you know, is it just depletes your whole cash flow. Um, right. And I think a lot of companies we're in that situation. And so I like to kind of have that conversation. I appreciate you sharing that. Now let's talk a little bit about like, you know, implementing and kind of the, the, the mindset. So let's say, for example, you had a million, two million. Okay. Like you said, with that client and they, you, you said, okay, let's pivot. Obviously it doesn't happen overnight. Right. And a lot of companies are like, well, we need money now. What can we do now? And the thing is there are certain things that you could do to, you know, squeeze the limit and maybe make another, you know, a hundred, $200,000 in cash flow. It's not going to move the bottom line that much. However, though, it's at least gives you something for the next day for the next payroll, right? Whatever it is. Right. And so my question is with that, what have you noticed of certain things that they could do to kind of squeeze a lemon relatively quickly? I like the strategies in long-term and we'll, we'll get to that here shortly, but I just like to kind of ask you what, what that looks like in regard to just kind of turn the dial. Well, short-term, I, I, I find that, and, and this goes to mindset. I find that as much as we, um, we have our network, um, we haven't really, leveraged that network. So from a mind perspe mindset perspective, you know, many people are proud, many entrepreneurs out there, they're very proud and they don't necessarily want to go and say, Hey, you know, um, I have this goal. And is there anything that I could be helping you with? And literally asking them, is there anything that you need in the next, you know, three to six months that I can help you with? And that would also help me achieve my goal. Um, I learned this in, I learned this when I was in corporate. And I was a pre-sales consultant. And one of my mentors of many years was a, the, say at one, the lead sales guy. And like corporate sales, they would get to the end of the year. And if they had a shortfall, and I'm talking not like $10,000, I'm talking like a million, $2 million. They would go right to their, their network base, not just their clients, but even their referral base and or their prospect base. And they would say to them, look, I have this goal. I want you, you know, I'd like you to help me get to this goal. I am, I have a shortfall of a million dollars. What can, you know, what do you need, you know, in your business? What can I do for you? What, even what kind of like bargain basement sale can I give you um, in order for you to kind of help me get to this, this goal and close this gap and get, you know, that, that order in today. Now, of course, many that number is take advantage and really leverage that network you have and ask just you know get over the fear of having to ask and being rejected they're not rejecting you they're just it's not the right time it's not the right product or solution that they're looking for and they might even have an idea of someone else that you could be reaching out to and they could actually think of a referral that they didn't consider before uh, so the, the easiest thing to do is really dig in 
to your current uh, network and just simply harvest it and, and ask if, you know, if there's anything that they need in order to, for you to be able to close a gap that you have. Uh, oh, that, would, that. that would be my, the, the top thing, because anything else is going to take time. There's going to be some, because I almost brought up the fact that my manufacturer had this issue and we needed, we wanted cash flow in quickly, but we really didn't have a good way to go about it without a long sales process. And so I had them invest about $18,000 into a huge trade show that was coming up in like a month. And in this, in this industry, it was retail. And this industry is not easy to all of a sudden show up at a trade show with a big, big, you know, I was going to curse, with a big, um, you know, booth uh, in a month. Um, but I said, this could be a, a, a you know, a 18,000 good investment where you can get some immediate, immediate um, you know, opportunities. And again, I come from that whole trade show background. And so they, so we went ahead and did it. It was a lot of work. Uh, but at the same time, they came out with some significant orders and long-term new clients. Uh, so, you know, you could take a big risk or you could just kind of dabble at things. Well, I appreciate you diving into that because see, again, I, I want to reiterate this because what I'm realizing is a lot of businesses Definitely after just, and I had just been consulting. I sold my business last year and just been consulting for a little while. You've been in it much more than I have. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask these questions because it's like, you see a lot of people focusing on the top of funnel, right? Getting more qualified leads and lead generation, but then you have all this back end. It's like, okay, what other product, what other service, what's the natural evolution of that client? What else do they need? And you can do that partnership where you can say, Hey, you know what? A temp 10% of someone else's service, 40, 50, 60, hey, that's a pretty good amount of income. And you're not offering really anything other than just a partnership, uh, any service or any back in operations drag. And so again, I just love that, love that approach. Now, I would like to ask you in regards, like you said, as well, long-term strategies and yeah. you know, implementing that and having the right mindset, because I always look at like the highest leverage activities, because there's a lot of things definitely in today's world where, okay, we can create content, create content. And the thing is, though, is you always ask yourself to me, it's like, what's, what's the what's the call to action what's what's the response what's the return that i'm looking to get just from content right wow. is it just to build content just to build it but my point is is coming back to like okay certain channels or certain things that they should be focusing on what are the highest leverage activities like uh, like like you mentioned that big trade show 18 g's but guess what maybe they you know 10x and made a you know a million dollars off of that maybe made, right. made another half a million i don't know what the result was but obviously that was a high leverage activity for how much time and energy and investment boom you got a lot of return and so I'm just curious, long-term, what have you noticed as well as like certain, certain channels or certain activities that produce the biggest result? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I would say um, someone in, in a services type of business, someone who is um, kind of a, an authority or a trusted advisor um, in, their, in their profession of any kind. Of course, um, I guess you can call it pay to play. But uh, of course, it, it, you know, you could be making investments in, for instance, getting on big stages, you know, where you can get in front of, and I'm not talking big stages just for the quantity of people, but because a lot of people just go after the quantity of people versus are these exact, you know, buyers of what it is that I have to sell that I'm going to get, be getting in front of. Um, and, of, you know, so in a services type of business where you're a trusted advisor, where you're an authority uh, thought leader, you know, of course, any of those 
broader exposures, if, uh, if PR, you know, I, 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 I'm stunned as to how many uh, service providers, trusted advisors that I do business with, that I just hang out with, whatever. And they never really think about making investments in PR, like putting themselves out there, getting themselves, you know, media attention, whether that's, you know, podcast, radio, TV, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, so in, so from that perspective, uh, those are, are a couple longer term strategies. Of course, then there is the longer term, the bigger, chunkier, longer term strategies of advertising and marketing, you know, purely, you know, getting your brand, getting your products and or services out there, but with very intentional and with, you know, again, very targeted. And yet at the same time, don't be fooled that, oh, you just have to spend a couple of dollars on ads and you're going to, you know, pop up everywhere. It's not going to happen. It has to be, that's why I consider it long-term. It has to be a very planned, intentional, and I'll call it a heavy investment that you want to make uh, because it has to be long-term. Short-term is not going to do it. You're going to spend a bunch of money. You're going to pop, 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 and then blah, and then you're going to fizzle out. It has to be uh, very well thought out and planned out. I mean, if you look on if you look on, turn the TV on in any particular day or time, and you have all the lawyers, you know, that are out there with their, you know, advertising, or you have the, you know, builders, or you have, you know, um, accountants, and they're promoting their marketing, I'll call it even marketing, consistently, heavily, um, you know, not just for a month or two months, because they're having a sale, or there's a, you know, a, a, a special event going on but they're doing it consistently to get in front of their uh, perfect target client on a long-term basis. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing that up because, you know, everybody always loves to talk about like seven X ROAS, you know, eight X ROAS and stuff. And, and it all makes, it all makes sense in theory, but sometimes, you know, obviously the testing takes a while. And oh, so there's absolutely. other different, yeah, there's different acquisition channels that you could really dominate before you start kind of really adjusting these other kind of the, the ad side of things. Uh, well, so you brought up a good, well, you brought up a perfect word of which you're very accustomed to because you, you, you sold your business last year. Because acquisition, obviously, whether it's a product business or a services business, is also something that many, many of my clients businesses that are lifestyle. And what I mean by that is BernadetteBose.com. Um, but I can't sell BernadetteBose.com. But I can certainly sell Ball of Fire, you know, Ball of Fire Media, or I can sell Shedding the Bitch, or I can sell, you know, other parts of, you know, the assets. And so I would also implore, especially if they're, if they're moving into the million or they're million two and going above, what can you do to add value and worth to the assets that you have, because you have assets. You may not think you have assets, but you have assets. And what do you need to do and how do you need to structure yourself, um, even from a business entity perspective, in order to add that, that value into your, into your business? Yeah, 100%. I love it. I love it. So let's kind of dial in a little bit further. Okay. So um, obviously you, you, you know, have this amazing memoir about, uh, cor um, you know, shredding the corporate bitch, shifting from bitch to rich, 
in life and business. Uh, I really love that. First of all, I just think it's really fun. Uh, and uh, kind of, if you would just tell us a little bit of your story of how you went from, you know, corporate to obviously really now being able to impact hundreds upon hundreds of businesses. Uh, and how I went from bitch to rich. Um. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. No. <laughs> Can you say it? Are you able to say it? Um, okay. So very simply, it was that um, the Monday after Thanksgiving in 2007, I walked into my office expecting kind of a big meeting about some great initiatives going forward. And the next thing you know, by 8.30 that morning, I was standing in the parking lot with a pink slip in my hand and my single box of 25 years of my corporate career and fired by my mentor of 12 years, actually, and kind of devastated and not sure what the hell just happened and spend about six to nine months trying to figure it out. Like, how did I just land up losing everything that I knew, my identity, you know, let alone my career, the power, position, and prosperity that I had earned um, and gained. And, it, you know, it, through a lot of what I call excavating my soul, I came face to face with the real woman in the mirror who turned out to be an absolute corporate tyrant. And I didn't like anything about her. I, I, did, I collapsed in the middle of a, a park running when I came face to face with her. And I was just in a, a pool of shame and disgust and embarrassment and humiliation, learning and realizing and, and admitting that I was a pretty nasty woman for a, a long time. Um, and it had to do a lot with, um, you know, lashing out at business, but also in my personal life. And I came to realize, and this has why I am that I was lashing out in, in such negative ways because I was so insecure. I felt intimidated. I didn't feel good enough. I dealt with imposter syndrome. Um, all of those, what I call bitches, and that's what bitches are in my world, are your fears, your negativities, your doubts, your, um, your insecurities about yourself that cause you to lash out on the world. So when I realized all of this <laughs> and um, I came to, to confront her, I said, well, I need to somehow find a way to apologize, explain myself, work through all of this because I'm a, I'm a journal writer. I've been writing in my journal since I was about eight years old. And I said, there's got to be stuff in there that I can kind of regurgitate and share with others so they don't make the same mistakes I've made. Um, even, even as successful as I had been, it came at a price. And it came out of price, not only for me, but all the people that I loved and cared for and I didn't even know around me. And so that's when all of a sudden I said, okay, I have to write this book. And I started writing the book and had this emotional breakdown at a conference with 2,400 people and simply said, you know, here I've shedded this corporate bitch that I once was. And now I, you know, I'm happy, but I don't know what to do about it. And that's where the title comes from. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just decided that that was going to be my platform to really help other people recognize that we all have insecurities, we all have doubts, we all have negativities, you know, and times that we feel inferior or intimidated, but yet how that causes us to project out into the world is not productive for anyone, especially ourselves, and therefore we need to shed them, we need to kind of work, do the work 
to recognize them and shed them so we can create riches in our world. And in the last 14 years, I've had more success, um, not all, not, and that's not financially, but more success in all aspects of my life than I did in the 25 years that I was climbing the ranks of corporate. I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that because, you know, it, and it's interesting to see, it's very awesome to see as well, how you've been able to use the devastation as your platform to then be able to impact others. My question is during that time, when you came to that realization and you started just crying in that shame and that everything, and you didn't like that, um, who, who was there to walk you through that? Was there any mentor? Was there anybody else that was there to say, hey, I see you as something more valuable. I see you as this person. What, what did that look like? You know, and this is going to sound um, really um, selfish, maybe is the word. Um, I wouldn't say I leaned on anyone in particular. We're all extremely close, and the two, and and I lean on them a lot. Um, and I, I don't lean on them. I didn't go to them and say, hey, you know, I, I just realized I'm such a witch and I need your help, you know, in that. <laughs> but I did, what I did do is as I was writing my book, I did take them out for cocktails and I sat them down and I said, okay, in one word, but and as, as many words as that come up for you, I want you to describe me in one word. I don't care, good, bad, ugly, beautiful. I don't care what the words are, just, you know. And after a couple of Cosmopolitans, trust me, Christian, <laughs> sisters don't lie. And they just spill their guts. And I had like three pages of everything from beautiful to, yeah, a, a bitch, you know, or nasty or, or curt or cruel or, you know, whatever the words were. Um, and so it was those little interactions that I had with a lot of people, uh, with, with not necessarily intentionally to say, hey, I'm going through this and I need your help, but more so, again, what I call excavating my soul. More so, I started just asking myself a lot of questions and journaling like crazy the answers to those questions. But I also... Um, I start when I was writing the book, I started my podcast, Shedding the Bitch Radio, because I wanted to use that as my my platform for kind of purging what it was that I was. Film script, I've, I've turned my book into a film script called Confessions of a Bitch. Um, because I've I used my platform to kind of confess all the different things that were coming up within me over those couple of years. So it was a variety of things, but the, I think your point might be, and I want to make this point, seek the, the, the counsel, seek the support, seek the people. Um, it doesn't have to be professionally. It doesn't have to even be, you know, uh, someone that you pay but it, although those are great choices, I mean, that's why I'm a coach, but um, at the same time, just do the work on yourself and, do, you know, and just discover who you are, who you want to be, who you don't want to be and what you want um, and just do the work on a regular basis.
Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So when you're in that time of, of like refurbishing yourself, right, reestablishing your self-image and who you were and your identity, and then obviously transforming over here. And like you said, now you're experiencing success, not just monetarily, right? That's part of it. It was so many other avenues because of that. My question is, is during that time, what are certain characteristics did you have to remove from your life? And then what characteristics did you kind of embrace a little bit further to say, wow, I'm now living my life, not just monetarily, right? You're, you're achieving that, but like you said, and other, uh, other avenues. Yeah. Well that, and that's exactly where shedding the bitch and shifting from bitch to rich comes from is I definitely identified all the nastiness about me that I wanted to no longer have as a part of me, whether that was, um, being arrogant, conceited, being crude, being passive aggressive, being offensive to other people. Um, and I just to be for myself, but for other people around me, you know, and of course that's kind and compassionate and empathetic and a, you know, a good listener and so forth and so on. Um, and so I just really, um, started focusing almost, you know, if you've ever uh, read um, Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, I really forced myself and, and I still do it. I really forced myself to be very present and very aware of exactly how I'm behaving, how I'm feeling, the words I'm using. And I work very intentionally to shift them anytime something comes in that wants to kind of wreak havoc on me. And at the time there was a lot of havoc being wreaked. Um, you know, when you start really excavating, um, within yourself, a lot of emotions come up and it's a matter of kind of saying, okay, is this an emotion I want, or is this an emotion I need to put over here and figure out how to shed it? Um, and that came down to the fact that I had to shed people, places, things, let alone, um, beliefs, within my mind, I had, a, I kind of did a library of all the beliefs I've told myself since I was very young, you know, all the way through at the, you know, through today, actually, um, I wrote down all my beliefs, all the things I say to myself, all the ways that I kind of treated myself, good, bad, and ugly. Um, you know, even all the ways I soothed myself that weren't very productive. Um, and then looked at all the external things as well. And uh, I had to change everything about the people I hung out with, the places that I went, the activities that I did, you know, the, um, the you know, routine that I had during the day, uh, just all got kind of thrown up into the air and, um, and definitely, you know, kind of transformed completely. Um, and I, you know, it, it didn't take, and I want, well, I want to be careful how I say this. Um, depending upon the effort you put into it will be kind of the, the result you get from it. And so it was about two years later when I ran into a couple of ex-employees at that same park that I had that breakdown in. And I was running and I was sweating and, you know, I looked like probably like, you know, hell. And they kind of, they both were looking me up and down and looking me all over. And, I, and I'm kind of like, what's going on? And so all of a sudden, one of them said, can I ask you a question? And then I realized what was happening. 
And she, and I, and I said, sure, you know, ask me anything. She said, well, did you have any work done? And I just laughed like incredibly inside because I knew what she was asking. And I was like, work, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you look like you're 10 or 15 years younger than you did before. And it had been two or three years. And I was like, well, that's what happens when you shed your bitch, you know, <laughs> because it does. You know, if you want a, a facelift, I tell this to women all the time. If you want a facelift, then shed all the crap and all the junk that you're feeling within yourself. Let it go because it's not serving you in any way, shape or form. And it's the most liberating thing you could do for yourself. I love that. And I think that's that's really quite funny, but it's just so uh, like someone actually noticed it physically so much so that you're like, wow, did you do something with your face? And no, it was just, you can feel it, you can see it. And it obviously shows physically, which is awesome. I love it. I love it. Now, let me ask you this, because when you're, when you're consulting with a lot of companies, right, um, which ones have you noticed definitely with the industry changing? Okay. Uh, and what I mean by that is like, it's just acquisition ads are you know increasing. I'm seeing a more evolution toward more partnership and and you know affiliates and stuff like that and having that those acquisition channels influencers uh, definitely for the ecom brands. And I just wanted to kind of get your perspective on that because um, I'm seeing that really massive push right now uh, because and let me explain again Apple. Um, their iOS updates, everything like that. Uh, I've heard a lot of the cookies uh, are not able to have those, you know, those data points. Marketers, that's going to be devastating for like the ad spend and stuff. And I love to see kind of what you're seeing in in, in regards to the um, increasing and scaling companies. Well, I definitely think anytime someone can um, have a successful partnership, um, you know, whether that is to augment what it is that you're, you're doing, or it's to even just have an offering out there that, um, you know, you're more of an affiliate that, you know, you don't do much with it, but you, you have an offering out there that complements what you're doing. Um, and I think, and there's no, I, you know, there's no downsides to that other than you have to be careful who you get in bed with. Um, so you, you know, I've seen, I've seen not only my clients, but other clients, um, big and small, if they don't do the proper work and if they don't do the due diligence and if they don't put the certain things in place, you know, even the legal, you know, contracts and the agreements, if they don't, you know, have a true partnership, um, or an affiliate, you know, arrangement or a referral program, if, if all the I's aren't dotted and the T's crossed, then I've also seen very ugly, ugly ramifications as a result of it. Um, but at, at the same time, it's going to, it is a huge, it always has been, but yes, there's periods of time that I've seen over the last 14 years where, you know, the, the acquisitions and the partnerships are important, but then they go away and that, then they get, you know, spotlighted again, but then they go away. And I, I feel that it is always a growth strategy and opportunity for a growing company because you can't do it all. You shouldn't try to do it all. You shouldn't try to be, you know, the Amazons and the Apples and the Googles of the world who try to get into every industry segment. You don't have the, the money and the time uh, to do that. Um, not, not to say you will never will, but in the, if we're talking like, you know, million dollar, two, three million dollar businesses, but at the same time, if you find those, those um, businesses, those um, 
other infrastructures that would just really do well to complement or augment or extend uh, your business, then go for it. It's a, it's a great growth strategy. Just make sure, I mean, I, ha I had a lawyer on my team, I would say within the first six months of going into business for myself. to hire a lawyer, but I'm going to, uh, just to ensure that, you know, all the, all the pieces are in place. Um, and so, yes, I definitely think uh, partnerships and uh, affiliates and referral, you know, uh, strategic arrangements are definitely a great growth strategy for those uh, that are looking to grow. Just do your work. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Now, when you're, when you're, uh helping someone walk through this, right? A coach or, uh, or like a business owner, right? And I do know that it's, a, it's about building a relationship and they obviously want return and they want to see growth. And the reason, the next question I'm going to ask is like, really as the business owner, how they should approach that relationship. And let me explain, because I've had individuals, they come in arrogant and they don't, they think they know, they already know the answer. And the reality is they don't. And that's the reason why they're at the spot that they're at. And sometimes you say, oh, you get, uh, the consultant, maybe at two, three, five million dollar businesses, that CEO says, Hey, we have a problem with my sales team. We have a problem with my marketing team. Go and help it. And then when you start realizing it's actually the owner, that's that stagnation. And so I'd love for you to walk us through that and like how you're able to deal with that and as well as uh, work with the, the owner itself. Uh, well, you kind of can figure out already, I'm pretty straightforward. Um, <laughs> but I also know how to be diplomatic now. Um, but um, I always start with the people um, before, you know, even if I'm being brought in to change an, uh, you know, an infrastructure, you know, or a establish a structure in a business, I always look at the people first. And I always um, address and ask about the ability to change, you know, the, the um, opportunities and challenges that they've had, the, um, you know, the, uh, any kind of conflict or any uh, any type of uh, challenges that they've had over over their time in, you know in business, uh, I used I used to use the terminology I was a ghost CEO. Even if I was being brought in to change one end of the business, I always started at the CEO and I always said I'm going to be your shadow and I'm going to be your ghost CEO and I'm going to be looking across the entire business as well as yourself to ensure that we have. <clears throat> we have the right people in place, the right, you know, the right functions in place and where the true opportunities and challenges are. Um, and, you know, and then I'll ask them, be right up front. For, I mean, coaches need to be very open and upfront. Our, our clients are looking for, for us to give them a safe space to be as open and transparent um, and disclosing as possible to address the issues and the opportunities that they have. Um, of course, like you said, some won't admit that they have any issues and challenges. And if they do, it's not them, it's somebody else. Coach's role, my role, my obligation to my client is to put up that mirror. And, you know, of course, to be gentle with it. And to, uh, sometimes you have to be hard, you know, with some personalities, but to be gentle, to be upfront, to be, um, And I've had 
I've had one company where I had to take the CEO out of his role and put him in a COO role. And I moved the COO into his role. And it took time, you know, but it, and a lot of conversation and a lot of infighting, not fighting with me, but infighting amongst, you know, them, um, which I then facilitated. But, um, you know, I just feel that it's our, our job to be as upfront and forthright uh, with our observations. And they are observations. Um, they are presented in, in a, I always present them in a way of a business case. You know, how is it benefiting you? How is it impacting you? Where do you want to go? Because what's impacting you is not going to allow you to get there unless you change it. Um, and, you know, what opportunities you have will get you there, but you need to address these type of, of challenges, of issues that, that currently exist. Um, what do you mean by impacting you? Uh, like you're, you're running a business and explain that a little bit further for me. Uh, negatively impacting. What, you know, um, you know I, I've worked with, money. It's not the, you know, structure of their business. It's not the products or services. It's them. And, you know, so I have to kind of paint the picture of here are all the issues. Here are the, uh, all the opportunities. Here's all the goals that you have and where, you know, where you want to land up, but here are all the, the ways that are, you know, that are, are negatively impacting your ability to address any of those three things. And, Mr. or Mrs. CEO, part of that is you, you know, and, and let me just kind of give you some observations and let me help you understand and give, give some, um, give some light to it. Now, of course you can continue and you can say, well, if you don't, you know, want to take my word for it, then let's do a 360 assessment. Let's ask your peers, let's ask your vendors, let's ask your clients, let's ask your employees, let's do some some digging into kind of where are the issues coming from? Where are they stemming from? Because the impacts, getting to your question, the impacts are gonna be those things that are going to prevent a business or an individual from being successful. So you have to identify what is positively or negatively impacting the business. Well, I love what you're saying because there's so much validity to this. And the reason why I wanted you to kind of walk this through is because, see, um, when you hire someone like Bernadette, right, yourself, naturally the CEO and the owner thinks, oh, this is, you're going to solve the solution, right? You're going to solve the problem, whatever it is. And the thing is, the reality, a lot of times the problem is, is the business owner, the CEO, the co-founder, whoever that is, inability to produce. And the thing is, is nobody likes ego kind of being thwarted right and so what's so funny though is that once you acknowledge it then it allows us to all grow as the business growth and everything so my question to you Bernadette is when you're dealing with business owners okay you're obviously kind of you know rubbing the, the, the wrong edges a little bit but that's for their benefit keeping them accountable growing them producing it's like hey you wanted this result this is what it takes right my question though is when you're working with them Sometimes they get that little rough edge, okay? And just like majority of everybody, we all want results in a period of time, right? There's this expectation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes by putting and implementing certain strategies, that expectation, it may take a while, but you know, hey, during this time, we may see an influx of revenue decrease. We may see churn rate increase a little bit. We may see a little operations and hiring and firing 
some people because we have to restructure. Right. And so my question is during that time frame, how should the the coach or yourself work through that and have that conversation, that dialogue, but also how should the business owner acknowledge that and have the right expectations say, hey, this is normal. This is the path to achieving that next level. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so again, you're painting the picture of where are you, where do you want to go and what are all the things in between that need to get, you know, addressed, need to get done, uh, need to get uh, acquired, whatever the case might be. And so to your, to your question, so then this person wants it even faster. Well, that's okay. You want it faster. What, what does that look like? Like, you know, cause I also believe word, words matter. So someone can't ever say something to me. And then I just take it for how, what they just said. I always dig into each one of their words. So then I want to really understand. All right. So I need you to understand that if we're going to do this, these are the things that need to happen. These are the things that need to change. These are the things that are going to go away. These are the things that are going to come on board. Uh, and this is what I need from you and your team. You know, do I, you know, are, you know, are you all in on this? Um, because if you want, you know, certain things to happen and yet you're resisting some things, you're resisting spending money, you're resisting firing, you're resisting hiring, you're resisting, you know, acquiring, whatever the case might be, then, then we have to move your timeline. Is that what you want? Do we want to move the timeline? So I put all the, uh, I believe that a coach's job is not to tell them what to do. That's a consultant. It's to ask them questions to lead them to the answer or the solution, right? So I just simply look for every way to turn the accountability over to them. If you want this to happen in three months, this is what we've laid out and your team's laid out that needs to happen or not happen. Are you on board with that? Yes or no. And if they start pushing back because they're not comfortable or because it, it's you know, scary or risky, okay, then if we don't do this, let me paint you the picture of what will then happen. It's going to be four months. Are you good with that? No, no, I want it in three. Okay, then, you know, so it's kind of always putting the, the final decision, the problem solving, the reconciliation back on them. Because eventually what I have found is I've had two extremes. One who, who will be like, okay, then. And then I've had some that say, okay, then I guess I need to be more realistic and put some more time, you know, time to this. Or I, I need to not have such high expectations. I need to, you know, manage my expectations. Uh, so I think it's a really a give and take. And I believe my job as a coach is just to, uh, we're talking mindset here, is, is to help manage their expectations and their, uh, along with their fears and insecurities, but also their ego and their, their overconfidence. <laughs> you know, you have to kind of, you know, be a, a manager and a facilitator of all of those things uh, to get them to make the decision as to what's going to happen. It won't be on me. It's not my business. It's not my business. It has to be on them. And I make sure they understand that as well. 
But that's what I love about what you do is and, and kind of the, the consulting world. And the reason why is because it is like an art, right? Because you're dealing with high performers. You're dealing with million dollar business owners and you're sitting there and you really have to have that conversation and you got to know when to slap them upside the head, <laughs> when to baby them and, and say, it's going to be okay. And right. when to keep pushing them and asking them and facilitating them the right direction. And that just comes with people skills. And I appreciate you diving into that. Uh, Bernadette, I just love the conversation that we've had today and just the insight that you brought really going down deep into understanding the, the basics, but also understanding the next level and intermediate expert on how to really scale and grow your business. And uh, Bernadette, how can our audience uh, reach out to where, you know, your community, be part of what you've got going on in your ecosystem? Uh, well, uh, you can always go to ballofirecoaching.com. And um, depending upon when you go, we're also launching, um, kind of relaunching all of our, all of our um, brand and marketing platform as well. But ballofirecoaching.com. Of course, they can link in with me um, at Bernadette Bowes or send me an email at Bernadette Bowes at BollifierInc.com. Awesome, guys. Those links will be in the description below. So make sure you just, you know, consume that content, reach out to her and, you know, link up with what she's got going on. And Bernadette, again, I just appreciate the immense value. Uh, before we let you go, though, is there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience? I would just say, especially, you know, you're, the audience, you're, you're all growing and, and building fantastic businesses. Uh, and it may, they may be where you want them to be. They may not be where you want them to be. Just believe in that dream and that, and that purpose and that goal that you have for yourself. And you're going to have high days and you're going to have low days. Just keep pushing and keep believing in yourself. And then build that team that believes in you as well. And you'll get there. You'll get exactly what you want uh, with all the, with the passion and the purpose that you put into it. That's awesome, guys. That is Bernard, uh, uh, Bernadette Bose. And I appreciate the time that you brought in. That is Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans, Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. We thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you feel and you know that this was valuable to you, please show some love to our amazing guest by liking this, by commenting on this, by making sure that you do a nice five-star review and just show some love to our guest. That'd be really awesome. Also, make sure you share this with a friend, a family, a colleague, someone that you believe would bring value to their life right now. Uh, and guys, we just want to say thank you again for just being part of our community. If you want to have more resources, don't be afraid. Go to christiandevans.com. You can actually schedule a phone call with me or you can send me an email at christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. That's christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. Always love to hear some feedback and let me know what is the number one or two things that you are struggling in your business and your life and we'll make sure we have those conversations. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Davis podcast. And until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Cheers.